0: Blog Talk Radio Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now I encourage you to sit back Buckle up and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking. The kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hi, this is Marnie and welcome back to you. Uh, Our edition today is for moms, for parents who want to... Um, get a little better control over what's going on in their homes and have a little better handle on what they need to do before their kids graduate and leave them. And so our guest today, Lynn Sandberg, is going to be sharing with us the seven things moms must train during the formative years during this hour. You're going to discover how to create lines of open communication how to gain wise counsel in any situation, the elements of good nutrition and how it will affect your child now and in the future, why a balanced regime of exercise, sunshine, and sleep are critical to a child's healthy development, the keys to spiritual development now and later, the role of discipline in training, and the importance of relationships and how to find true friends. Lynn, our guest today, is a volunteer minister and teacher in the Female Life Learning Program With the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry in Gulfport, Mississippi, teaching Heaven on Earth Parenting Principles, Heaven on Earth is a program that's been attended by hundreds of men and women since and has had a profound impact on many family lives. So we're excited to welcome Lynn today. Hi, Lynn. Hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great, and this is a topic near and dear to my heart. I I, uh, I have a program I teach called Moms on the Winning Team because it's not easy to be a mom, and it's re- no. there's really a lot of um, maybe self-doubt and, you know, just a lot of areas where we think, wow, you know, am I doing everything I'm supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Am I doing a good job? And I'm really excited that you're here right. today to talk to about the seven most important things or seven of the things that you just got to train during the formative years. So let's maybe go ahead and start with a little background on you. First of all, are you a mom? (laughs) Yes, I have uh, three children. They're all grown, 30, 29, and 26. So they're all up and out of the house and uh, prospering and doing well. They all live near me. I actually have five grandchildren now. just beautifully watching my children putting into practice those same principles mm-hmm. that I taught them with and raised them with. And so what a blessing it is uh, for me and I how did you side of parenting. Now, how did you decide to write a book about parenting? Well, it was just out of my uh, desire to be a good and godly mother. Uh, I had three very small children when I started writing the book back in 1991 and uh, just uh, desired to uh, learn more about what God is like as the perfect father, not that I really have any, um, you know, rights to brag or anything like that. I'm just a common person that had a desire to to be a godly mother. So I started learning from God in uh, Scripture what he is like towards his children and therefore, um, uh, you know, learn uh, ways to model or mirror him to my children. So whatever he is to me, then I should be that to them. Does Uh, that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's dive right in with the first things that a mom should um, train during the formative years. And we're going to talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about communication. And maybe I'd be interested in having you address this um, on a couple different levels like talking about how you train open lines of communications with a small child as well as what you do when they hit the teen years? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It does start when they're very small. And and talk about training. You know, you're, you're training them to, uh, tr- first of all, to trust you as someone that they, uh, when they want to come to you and talk to you about something, that you are someone that they can trust, not to the beans like you know you go to church or whatever and you you know talk of their business out in public or uh if they're in the house and and they're looking you straight in the face and they're trying to talk to you about something that you're not going to roll your eyes and poke fun at them if they come to you with a question does any child or any person for that matter ask a question that they already know the answer to i mean that's kind of obvious that no you don't ask questions that you know the questions to or the answers to so if they come to you and they appear to ask a stupid question and you roll your eyes or huff with your breath like I can't believe you don't know that like or you should know that by now if you talk to them in that way what are you communicating to them how are they going to internalize that but to but to assume you think they're stupid. So Mm -hmm. then why would they want to come back and be made to feel stupid again? They may do it several times, but after a while they're like, wow, that's not a safe place to go to ask a question. This happens to kids at school as well, but we're talking about parenting. So, you want to keep the lines of communication open, so that when they get to their teen years and the really big stuff starts happening, start when they're young, creating an environment in your home where they feel safe to, to, to ask questions. That you know, you think, man, I got to answer. And, and, and you know how kids ask the same question over and over and over, and you're like, know, get sick of answering the same questions. Like, I already already told you that. (laughs) Like, I get, you know, in a um, a feedback loop or something, and they keep asking you. But they keep asking. I'm not sure why. Maybe they weren't satisfied with what you said, or maybe they want you to continue to expound on what you said. I don't know why they keep asking. But um, we need to show respect. If we want respect from them, we need to show them respect at whatever age they're at and not treat any question like it's dumb. And so I believe some of the training actually begins with the parent in uh, responding to the child in a very respectful way. And, you know, like, why is the sky blue? <laughs> I already told you that. Or let's go over it again instead. Um instead of, you know, poking fun or uh, refusing to answer or whatever. You know, uh, and and so one of the things that uh, I, I teach my parents is that you don't have to say any words at all to communicate to someone that you think that what they've said is stupid. You literally, by the slight rolling of your eyes, shrugging of your shoulder or a huff of your breath, how about just, like, flipping your hands out? Like, really? Right. Really? Right. I mean, that's all it takes It's just flipping your hands. And and they're like, oh, okay. Well, so why would we then be surprised that by the time they're 12, 13, 14, they're going to their friends who don't treat them that way with their concerns of their heart? And so, you know, I... You know, I really believe that it begins when they're very young. And I I had that philosophy, and I was able to com- communicate to my child that I really want to engage in conversation with you, and I want to talk about the things that are important to you. I think true love says that whatever is important to you is important to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show that it's important to me by, uh, by sitting down and looking you straight in the eye and, and engaging in conversation about it. And honestly, mm-hmm. giving answers and yeah. um, tra- treating them like they're they're an intelligent human being, no matter what they've what they're saying. And and you also can't, you know, immediately fly off the handle, get angry. You know, your child might confess something. Well, if you fly off the handle and start, you know, handing out punishments, you think that child's going to tell you anything again? The answer's no. I mean, so parents shouldn't be surprised if they get all clammed up by the time they're a young teenager and go to their friends um, instead of coming to you. I'll never forget some of the things that my children have come to me with. Uh, one time when my son, he was 15 years old, and he very contemplative, reflectful kind of fella. He'd get up in the chair and, you know, like rub his face, you know, like, uh, uh, like his beer, you know, he's, he's, he's drawing his hand down over his chin and he's thinking. He's that kind of person. Always thinking of something. Well, he created a list of what he wanted in a woman when he got married. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I know. He said 41 items that he wanted in a wife. Wow. And he said, <laughs> Mom, I created this list. I know. Do you know any women <laughs> like that? And so he says, "You want to see my list?" I'm like, "Yes, I want to see that list and I really read over each and every item and talked let him talk about it and uh and then he with the most sincere uh look and voice, he looked at me and he said, "Do you know anybody like that? Hmm. <laughs> I was like, N- no, I don't and I, I thought it was like too perfect of a woman like the first thing you need hmm. to realize, son, is that that there's no perfect woman out there. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah there's nobody that fits all 41 items here. But, and, and then he looked at me again. He says, but if you meet her, you'll tell me, right? <laughs> Cute. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> How precious was that? Oh, I definitely, yeah. son, I'll tell you when I meet this woman. Well, you know, he didn't marry a woman that had all all 41 items, but... You know what that? First of all, that what that did was, you know, yeah, I've taught him to uh, consider very carefully what he does and what he chooses to engage in and relationships that he. uh, And we're going to talk about that later in the show. But um, you know, that showed me that I had given some kind of platform to him, or he did not feel like I would make fun of that at all. And I was. Well, that's really the. That's really the bottom line here, isn't it, is respect, that sense of if it's important to me, I'm sure that she will at least not make fun of me about it. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, he was 15 at the time. So in order to get something like that, you better believe I want to talk to him about what he wants to look for in a wife. That's a big deal. And so if if it takes me talking to him about it, I don't know, some silly thing about his Legos or, I don't right. know, some something else that, you know, silly thing that he had written at five years old or eight. You know what I'm saying? Those things are, you know, y- you could say, well, that's not very important stuff. Well, you know what? It's important to him at five or important right. to him at eight. If you want the right. things that are important to him at 15, 18, 21, and, and have him come to you, then you better say that the things that are important to him at five are important to you. So important enough to listen to him and show him that you are a person that gives respect. Hmm. So, uh, then This is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting to, with Lynn Sandberg today. We're talking about seven things moms must train during the formative years. We're going to come right back and talk about how to gain wise counsel in any situation. We'll be right back.
1: Christian women's events at womensevents.info. You can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian women's events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info.
0: Welcome back. This is Marnie, and our guest today, Lynn Sandberg, is of the website www.heavenbroughthome.com, heavenbroughthome.com, and her book or workbook is called Heaven on Earth. Lynn's sharing with us the seven things moms must train during the formative years. Lynn, let's talk about how to gain wise counsel in any situation. You know, every child needs to learn how to figure out the things that they don't already know. And I have met a lot of adults who don't know how to do that. So how can a mom Mm -hmm. begin to train that? Well, I say that um, helping your child to attain wisdom is probably the most important thing you'll ever do. And the reason why I say that is because when your child is wise, then it will affect every other area of your child's life. He'll make wise decisions about his friends and make wise decisions about his health, and on and on and on. So when you've done that, you've done the greatest thing that a parent can ever do for a child. So uh, teaching a child how to gain wisdom and to gain wise counsel is uh, like right at the top of the list for me. And so uh, the very first thing that I have um Uh, taught my children to do to to gain wise counsel actually begins with themselves, and that is not to be hasty in making a decision. So slow down about what you're wanting to do and uh, uh, think through the consequences. Uh, This is going to date me, but um, I'm quoting one of the authors of a uh, class that we teach at the jail. He says, uh, play out the tape, and now we're talking about like a <laughs> uh, a VHS tape. And I know I'm dating myself, and but um, in other words, play out the play out the scenario all the way to the end, and um, and then you'll go back to the beginning. And what do I need to do? What are the steps that I need to do? But in order to gain wise counsel, you have to choose who you're going to listen to. You begin by listening to yourself. By considering what the situation is, then you uh choose who you're going to listen to very carefully, because you know what and especially in this day and age, you can find uh any number of opinions on any one topic mm-hmm. uh you on the on the issue of parenting how are parents going to uh decide how to parent? you can get out there and find. Every idea and every opinion. But does that mean they're good opinions? And should I be listening to them? So, you know, where do you begin to gain wise counsel? The scripture says that with many counselors, um, then you can gain you can gain uh, wisdom. And so, uh, and Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So choosing who you're going to... Um, listen to, but also fearing the Lord, which is not like cowering in the corner. You're afraid of God, but you're respecting him. You're reverencing him. And so the beginning of wisdom is to respect God. Now, children, um, especially in the formative years, they're really concrete learners, which means they really understand what is in front of them, what they can touch, feel, see, smell, that kind of thing. And so they they can't see or touch God, so it's difficult for them to learn how to respect a, something that they can't see. So it is our job as a parent to get them to respect us. And we are going to talk about that topic later in the area of discipline because it is uh, very much tied together so we'll talk about that more later, but choosing uh, the actual people that you're going to listen to, um, a parent can definitely um, take a front line in helping them by uh, monitoring who their teachers are, who their coaches are, and who their friends are. Uh, And and a parent, I believe, should be um, uh, actively involved in all those things. A lot of people think Well, you know, I'm going to send them to school, and it's the school's job to educate them. And actually, they take on that that role, but only because you've delegated it to them. So it is, this child is your responsibility. So it is your responsibility to make sure that he's receiving wife counsel at school. Uh, and, And that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. Um, on the parents' part, but it is part of their responsibility, as, as well as the coaches. Uh, my my boys played uh, soccer. They were very good at it, and so they, they every year they had uh, soccer coaches, and some were excellent coaches, most all of them, good examples of being men and women of character, but there were some that were not. And it's a pretty tough call to remove your child off of a soccer team if, you know, trying to work with this coach that doesn't have good character, leading your child astray. I remember one day down here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, we were um, playing in a, on a January cold day. It was below 20. I was like 17 degrees. And like some of the kids were crying while they were playing. And the other team was beating us really bad and, um, uh, you know, uh, cutting the kids' uh and and tripping them, pushing them in the back, name-calling. And so out of frustration, the coach says, "Um, all right, kids, huddle up. If that's the way they're going to play, then you go back and shove it right back to them. (laughs) I pulled my son over, both my husband and I, and we leaned it over and we said, we see you doing anything that's unsportsmanlike. We're pulling you off the field. Huh. Walk away, we were able to talk to the coach at the end of the game and say, hey, that's not really what you wanted to teach those boys. Um, And he recanted, and he he actually told the boys he was sorry. But there might be times when the coach says, that's the way you play the game. Like, yeah, well, not my son. So it's our responsibility. If we want our children to gain wise counsel, then we need to be kind of in the thick of things. Um, seeing who is giving them counsel. Is it wise or is it worldly and going to draw them um, astray into uh, doing things that are of bad character? So um, we have to be very, very careful who leads our children. I like I like um, how you talk about just being in the thick of things and when the kids are little. Actually, um, kids have a very high... Um, acuity for you know someone who is not what they say they are or someone who yes. is you know um they call it the bs factor you know the filter there that a child can see through things very easily
1: and mm-hmm. when
0: you take those opportunities to actually explain what you're seeing there and how they can and mm-hmm. how they can make a judgment and it's okay for them to make a judgment not to just say well everybody I call Mr or Mrs Deserve, yes. you know, my full obedience, um, you know, we have yes. to teach them, okay, there's there's things you need to be watching for, and yes, of course, you have to stay under your authority, but at the same time, you need to be talking to us so that we can help you, and once they learn those skills as a child, that will really carry through to their adult life, and they will be able to get out from under inappropriate authority, and, oh, um, and you know, mm-hmm. it really does affect the entire future, so it's such a, such it, a great, it really does great skill to teach. Well, let's talk a little bit about good nutrition here. And this was kind of um, this was kind of an interesting one because um, we have a lot of information available now to us that maybe wasn't available a few years ago and a yeah. lot of different choices that are, are horrifically bad for us as well as some choices mm-hmm. that are healthy for us. So maybe what do you say to the mom who says, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. What do you say to this mom? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not going to judge because I don't know what's going on in that home, except that I, what I do know is what the statistics are saying about the average American diet, and that is that it's terrible. Um, yeah. it, the average American, I believe, has gotten away from um, understanding what good nutrition is. And so one of my most favorite resources, and anyone can go there and learn from them just like I have, is this, uh, the Harvard School of Public Health. The Harvard School of Public Health, go to their website. They have a, a a philosophy of nutrition that's slightly different from what we're hearing in general and what we've been taught in school. We, all of us have um, been taught, you know, the, the food pyramid. And um, there's really, you know, nothing wrong with that except that, it's missing some elements. Uh today people are uh thinking that if you uh want to lose weight, you're going to have to get the fat out of your diet. And that actually is um again missing some ele- uh, missing elements of understanding that there are several kinds of fat. And there's a couple that are not good for you, and there's a couple that you need to keep into your diet. And if you go on that website for the uh, Harvard School of Public Health, you'll look carefully at their food pyramid. What you'll see at the bottom rung, and the bottom rung means you need to be eating the most, okay? So it wouldn't be surprising to you that that fruit and uh, vegetables and uh, whole grains are at the bottom rung, right? Uh, but what they also have on the bottom rung of this pyramid is healthy fats. And... Uh, I don't want to bore anybody, but it's called mo- uh, monounsaturated fatty acids. I call them MUFAs for short. And then there's polyunsaturated fatty acids. These two kinds of fat are good kinds of fat. And um, we need to keep them in our diet. We actually, because it's on the bottom wrong, it means we need to have a lot of it in our diet. So, uh, cooking with uh, canola oil and olive oil, for example, those are really healthy kind of fats. Uh, eating almonds and walnuts, and believe it or not, this is the, the best news here is that uh, dark chocolate has this wonderful kind of fat in it. I make sure that I do my myself a favor and eat my dark chocolate every single day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh but you know other things like salmon and um, soy milk, uh, the uh, uh, tuna, raw tuna. I I have actually it's my hobby to take nutritious food and then make them taste really good so that my family uh, wants to eat it. So they've learned like uh, don't ask mom what's in it, just. Eat it because I really have worked hard. It's got to look beautiful and it's got to taste wonderful, and that's going to inspire my family to eat it. You know, people think that health food tastes like cardboard or you know it's yucky. They don't want to eat it. Well, it's just because it hasn't been cooked properly. And so, if you work hard at getting um, a full uh, array of fruits and vegetables, in other words, your your plate should be bright. In color. Lots of color. Orange, yellow, purple, green, you name it, the, the color should be on your plate and uh and then choosing the types of protein uh with with this healthy kind of fat. So we should have a lot of uh chickens and fish and turkey in our um, diet and we need to learn how to cook them so our family really enjoys them. Mm-hmm. I really like the book uh called "Eat to Live by Dr. Furman. It's yes. a great resource yes. and yes it um, is. really helps you to understand um how the different foods that we are eating so much of are mm-hmm. are really kind of hurting our bodies and what to replace them with and I like to just use the i like to just use the ingredient list myself where if I look on the ingredient label and I don't know what any of that means. I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So, if you can't pronounce this, then you shouldn't be eating it. Right. You can be pretty <laughs> sure it's a chemical and not a food. Yeah. So I think I think yeah. most of us are not eating too much food anymore. We're mostly eating right. chemicals. We don't realize that right. as a culture. Yeah, okay. it's getting a little, getting a little crazy that way. Okay. Well, this is Marnie Sudberg. We're visiting today with Lynn Sandberg of HeavenbroughtHome.com. We're going to come right back and talk about why a healthy or balanced regime of exercise, sunshine, and sleep are critical to a child's healthy development and the keys to spiritual development now and later. We'll be right back.
1: Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit womenspeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com.
0: Welcome back. This is Marty. Our guest today, Lynn Sandberg, is the author of Heaven on Earth, a parenting principles program that you can find over at heavenbroughthome.com. Lynn, let's go ahead and talk about uh, the role that exercise, sunshine, and sleep play in a child's life and how do we train good, good, maybe I would say habits, good structural um a foundation for them to take into the rest of their life. Well, this is uh, actually a a problem that our society has just developed over the last couple of decades. Um, Children are not getting enough exercise. They're not getting sunshine and the amount of sleep that they need. And all three of these um, by themselves cause a child to become unhealthy. Uh, Exercise uh, is, uh, needed for our bodies to um, to stay trim, but also when you exercise, you're releasing uh, hormones and chemicals in your brain that, that uh, promote sleep and uh, good memory and things like that. And uh, our children today are um, spending way too much time inside. When I was growing up, I would come in, do my homework, I'd have a cookie, glass of milk, And then my mother would uh, require us to go outside. And again, I'm dating myself, but hey, this is a great game. we'd play kick the can until it was time for dinner and eat our dinner and go right back out and finish our game with our friends in the neighborhood. A lot of kids today wouldn't even know what kick the can or hide and seek. They don't play games like that anymore. And so the the whole idea of exercising and sunshine and – I want to add in there sweating. Sweating is a critical thing that our body needs to do. It gets rid of the toxins that build up from all of the toxins that we consume, whether it's in our water, the food that we eat. Uh, we are consuming toxins on a regular basis. We have a couple of organs in our body that filters them out, and uh, we urinate it out, and but also our sweat glands uh, God gave us so that when we sweat the the toxins are being released. It's not just to keep us cool while while we're exercising, but the sweat is actually removing the toxins out of our body. So you see how exercise, sunshine and sweating all happen at the same time. Let me go back to the sunshine. I think that people do not understand the importance of sunshine and what do we actually get from it. We don't just get pretty tans and you know, good-looking skin, but we get uh, the vitamin D. It is the only vitamin um, that is not naturally in our foods. There's a couple of foods that have some naturally occurring vitamin D in it, but for the most part, uh, we get our vitamin D from the sun that we absorb into our skin. And you, you, you've seen uh, vitamin D fortified milk. It's because that... Um, uh nutritionists understand that we cannot um absorb the calcium in our milk without the vitamin D accompanying it as well, so they pair it yeah. up but they have um unnaturally uh um, a process it's man made vitamin d it does your body does not handle or process it. Near like it does the natural source from the sunshine. Now, so I want to I want to talk about a, a, an issue that proves to me and all the rest of us that children are not uh, maybe drinking the milk that they should should have or, or getting the sunshine that they need because we are having an epidemic of uh, middle class American children that have bone density problems You're like sixteen year old children having bone density problems, what in the world is going on? These are not like poor children that can't afford. These are middle class Americans. We have the money to buy our children the milk that they need and whatever really that they need and so what is going on here? Is it that uh, and it could be a couple of different things. are uh, the children like in charge they don't want to drink their milk so they don't have to because they don't want to. Or could it be that they're inside the house and instead of outside exercising, sweating, and getting their sunshine, they're sitting on the couch with a remote in their hand and playing a game hmm. uh, i mean it's its this is this is a the American pastime of the average child is to come home and go straight to their computer games. It is shocking. They look like little zombies. If you walk in the room, you know, they don't want to be interrupted. Do not interrupt their game. And they're sitting there in, uh, they don't need light because, you know, the light's coming from the TV and the light's not even on. And they're sitting there with a the remote playing a game. And so our children today are not getting the sunshine that they need. And interestingly enough, they only need 10 to 15 minutes a uh, two times a week 10 to 15 minutes of sunshine two times a week, and American children are having bone density problems. Uh, I mean, that it sounds uh, like a ridiculous problem. We need to get our children back into, the, in other words, it's the old way, you know, it's, you know, old-fashioned, but I think that some things that we used to do back in the day... We're good then, and they're good now. I yeah. think that we need yeah. to get, be getting our children up and off the couch and out in the yard, out in the street, on their bicycles, throwing balls, and uh, it, it it will take the parents stepping up to be the leader in their home and saying, this is what we're doing. And I don't mind yeah. you playing your games. I don't mind you playing your games in a 20, 30 minutes uh, a day. But not hour upon hour like children are doing today. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that that's kind of the same thing that's cutting into the rest. Although I have to say that some of the kids that I, I know that are the busiest kids, um, that maybe not getting enough sleep aren't sitting in front of the T V. They're actually involved in too right. much. They're involved in too many sports and, and um just yes. too much. There hasn't been a limit put on that side of things, so you you can kind of yeah. you can kind of err on both sides, and if you just remember to kind yeah. of stay steer kind of down the center a little bit <laughs> with these right. things. Right. Well, and yeah, um, we didn't even talk about sleep. Um, yeah. You know, because children need uh, a lot more sleep than adults do. Uh, if you go to the National Sleep Institute, is where I got my information about that, and they'll give you a chart of how old the child is and, and, and in general, how much sleep that child needs. For example, you know, we know that when children are um, born, they sleep most of the time. And with every passing week, they sleep less and less and less. And, you know, by the time they're grade school children, they still need a good 10 hours of sleep at night. But I know people in our community here down in Long Beach that have their kids play um, ball they're down at the ball field and, you know, well into the evening on a school night, they're playing ball. And these kids don't get home until like 10 o'clock at night, but yet have to be back up five thirty, six o'clock to get ready for school the next day. Well, it's no wonder they've just lost an hour and a half, two hours of sleep. And then they're supposed to go and to school and perform on a, sewing test or whatever they're supposed to remember the things that they've been taught and uh, it's not going to happen and so we like you said we don't want to err on either side having a kid that sits on the couch nor do we want to have them playing sports to all hours of the day and night so that they're not getting the proper rest or proper balance in life yeah let's talk a little bit about the keys to spiritual development then okay um The portion of my book one, The first half of it Many of the points uh, Parents would say like Duh, Lynn, you're telling us stuff we already know Like for example We ought to be taking our children To a church and Sunday school And uh, you know The majority of people that go to church Get the fact that you need to go to church With your child But there's a good number of them That drop the child off and So you know, one of the things that I teach is what are you teaching your child when you drop them off at church? Because your actions you know, always uh, speak louder than your words. <laughs> your actions speak louder than your words. What you're saying is, well, I'm taking you, but apparently it's not important to me. No, I don't need it. So really what the child is learning is, well, I guess that's something you do when you're little. And as soon as I get old enough, I want to do like mommy and not go. Or at some point, you can't make me, you don't do it, you know. Right. You know, it just doesn't work that you can tell me that I have to go when you don't take the time to do it. So, right. you know, one of the things we need to do is to go to Sunday school and church, but not just go, but really be engaged. Remember I talked about asking your child questions. Your child should be able to ask you lots of questions. You should ask them a lot of questions. And so – going to church is one place that you should be uh, almost like the little red flag is up. I'm looking for things that I can come home now and engage my child in conversation about what we've learned. What did you learn and how did you feel about it or whatever? And so, um, church attendance and regular church attendance is really, really important. The next thing that I say is that we ought to, um, have family devotion. We ought to, um, You know, they ought to see us opening up the Word of God and um, seeing what we can glean from it and sharing with them um, uh, the truths from God's Word. And it's a precious time. I'll tell you what, we were just talking about families that are way too busy, always out on the ball field. And and so my caution is that you put things in proper uh, perspective and in their their proper place. And the Word of God is... um, should be at the top of the list. And mm-hmm. uh, I say if you have the Word of God, you have everything you need. And if you don't have it, you don't have anything. I really do believe that. And so um, I'm going to spend time with my child sometime. And and it, I'm not going to be, like, judgmentally, like, you ought to do it first thing in the morning or you ought to do it. You know, do it when your family can. Uh, just don't neglect that area of your family life. The next thing that I say is that you should uh, lead in prayer. And I want you to hear me not say, necessarily, teach them to pray. I said lead in prayer. In other words, they ought to see and hear you praying. That is the best model uh, you uh, could possibly give a child. And they'll learn uh, much more than just how to pray. They're going to, you know, when they, um, once they stumble into your room and you are uh, praying, you're maybe by your bedside kneeling and they actually hear you. I, it's going to make me cry because it's such, so precious. Um, when a child hears you lift their name up to the heavenly father, thanking them to him for them and asking the Lord to bless them. It's a powerful, um, uh, time in the child's life when they hear the person that's supposed to love them most. Um, asking God to to bless them and to guide them. And so lead in prayer It's the greatest uh, way to teach a child to pray. Another uh, thing that I say is that you ought to be getting to know the God of creation with the child. It doesn't have to be anything expensive. You don't have to go to faraway lands. Uh, You just need to get out and smell the roses and go to the park and maybe lay out in the backyard with the Uh, on a blanket and let's talk about the clouds, you know, the formations, you know, one of those awesome days when the clouds, you know, make really cool shapes and stuff. But, but, Uh you know, be careful to give God the glory and the praise. Like, wow, look at that. Or, um, uh, you know, I, I love to, uh, my family loves to camp. And so we have always taken our children out camping and hiking And so it is a wonderful time to just draw attention to the glory of God and and point out just how awesome he is. And so you want to help your child develop spiritually, you spend time with your child engaging him in conversation about just how awesome God is. I love that. I I think of all of these things and how just like when we were talking at the beginning, if you – minimize the small things that they want to talk to you about when they're little. They won't talk to you things when they're bigger. Yes. The same is yes. if you say, you know, my walk with God is very personal personal and private okay. and I don't really talk about it. Well, then they yes. won't talk about it with you later. And I think it, yes. it just kind of comes back around that we have this small window of opportunity with our small children to actually live out loud in such a way mm. that we share our thoughts and our heart and our God with them, mm-hmm. and they have the opportunity to you know, decide whether that how they want to think about things, but at the same time, if you never told them, they really don't have the opportunity to decide because they never heard it from you. Yeah. So it is yeah. it is this opportunity we have when they're small to really verbalize. Mm-hmm. I love how you're talking about um, leading in prayer, and I remember Elizabeth Elliott was the one who taught me that, Whenever yeah. you know not every time of course, but when you're praying silently as a mom, you're doing yeah. dishes or you know you know cleaning up the supper or whatever you're doing, and you're lifting up a prayer to God or a praise to God, sometimes you need to just verbalize that to him in yeah. front of your children, and they'll be they'll be shocked, they'll be like, "What are you doing? Who are you talking to <laughs> like that yeah thing yeah. is that. that if you yeah. never verbalize it, they will never know that you do it, yeah, never. How can they possibly know? Yeah, they need to hear you talking to God. And I'll tell you, one of the most precious times is when you tuck them in bed. I think that parents are too busy today. I don't think they take the time on the edge of their child's bed anymore. Um, And that child should hear you praying to God, lifting up the prayer concerns of the family and and, uh, talking to God about them. And and it is so precious and then to let them pray after you have prayed. It, it now I, I you know, my grandchildren come and I have them spend the night and, and we do that now at at bedtime and it is so precious. We'll actually get almost nose to nose and our hands are up, you know, near our chest and so our hands are almost touching and we're you know, I'm talking to the Lord, and then they talk. I mean, it's, 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 there's nothing, nothing sweeter. <laughs> well, this is Marnie Swenberg, visiting today with Lynn Sandberg, the author of Heaven on Earth, over at Com. We're going to come right back and conclude the program with the role of discipline and training and the importance of relationships and how to teach children how to find true friends. We'll be right back. What's your next step? Are you tired of scouring the Internet to find the training you need to take you from where you are today to where you want to be? Stop searching and start moving towards your goals with over 150 targeted training modules available to you at Marnie.com. You can learn how to speak, how to write, how to get published, how to get media coverage, and so much more, all available at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. Well, guys, and welcome back. We're nearing the end of this program with our guest, Lynn Sandberg. Today, 7 Things Moms Must Train During the Formative Years. And, Lynn, we really want to spend a couple minutes right now talking about the role of discipline and why you must employ consequences. Yes. Well, uh, the first thing that I want to talk about is actually what discipline is. I think that the majority of people, when they think if I were to ask them for a synonym for discipline, the word that they would come up with is punishment. And actually, if you go to the American Heritage Dictionary and look up the word discipline, it says discipline is training. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting? It is, and training implies modeling and um, uh, uh, instruction. And and so we're actually training children when we're disciplining them. If a parent could get in their mind that we're not just, you know, trying to get a child to just do what we say, in other words, the discipline isn't about the thing that you want to be done. Like let's just say take out the trash. Is it really just about getting the trash outside? Mm-hmm. It, it right. isn't. There's such a bigger Scope of what discipline is And what you're trying to accomplish In the heart and life of this child That will impact him For the rest of his life You start young Scripture says start young And be passionate and diligent About disciplining If you love them And the Lord says in Hebrews chapter 12 Do not be surprised that the Lord disciplines you Because he disciplines all that he loves Isn't that beautiful? So if he loves us enough to discipline us, then we ought to demonstrate that we love that child enough to do the tough thing of disciplining. Disciplining is not fun for the child or for the parent, And I think a lot of parents today just want to turn a blind eye because it's not pleasant. Well, maybe if I just ignore that, pretend it didn't happen that I can just go on and have a a, a calm day, a pleasant day, and not filled with, you know, conflict with this child. Well, that isn't loving the child. It's really loving yourself more. Do You see what I'm saying? It's loving your comfort level more than loving the child and the future of that child. Because a child left to his own demise going to be rebellious and disrespectful and he's not going to make it well in life. And, I mean, it It will uh, play out at school with his teachers, with his coaches, and then he'll turn 15 and start uh, getting a, a car, driving, a job, and things are not going to go well because the child is not going to be respectful. Um, he's not going to be on time, and you can play out the rest. And, and the child will have trouble the rest of his life. So it is truly loving the child when you are willing to step in and say, "No, that's not the way things are done," and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you um, what I expect. So let's go back to the. Uh, there's a scripture in Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen that says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness." And so it starts with the word teaching. We are to teach our children all the right things. But we know that they are not going to do always what we've asked them to do. I mean, it's in the heart of every... It says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Uh, and then it says, then the rod of correction will drive it far from it. So we know that children are not going to always want to do what we say. Well, then the the next three words come in that verse, play, uh, uh, up, come into play. Reproof. It's sort of like scolding. You go to a child like, "Uh, I, I, I told you I needed you to do this, or I told you to do this at this this specific time, and you did not do it. So I'm reproving you. Um, I'm scolding you. Then I'm going to correct you, and I'm going to give you instruction and in righteousness. So I'm going to go back into the teaching mode. I'm going to show you how you did not line up with what I asked. This is what you did. This is what I asked for." So now I'm going to go back, and apparently you need a lot more instruction. So I'm going to model it for you. And then, like you said, uh, you know, in the outline, we must give consequences uh, for, I and mean, then that's kind of because we're human, but we, we are motivated motivated by consequences. And so it's, it's very appropriate for families to have house rules for breaking the house rules. And so you're being proactive, you're letting everyone know ahead of time, this is what I expect. Let's say, for example, when I speak to you, um, you are not going to show any signs of disrespect when I'm talking. Like, you're not going to roll your eyes, uh, throw your hands on your hip, uh certainly not interrupt me. You know what I'm saying? You know, I required respect. When I speak to you, you're going to listen to me. You're going to let me get my entire sentences out. And then I'll give you time to talk back. Because remember, it's about mutual respect. So you don't give me the respect, this is what's going to happen. And so I believe in what I call progressive discipline. And that is uh, the first thing, maybe, well, you know, you know the house rule of respecting me. Uh, You didn't give it to me. So this afternoon you had planned to go with your friend, and I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. And so now give me your full attention and give me your, your respect, and um, hopefully nothing else will be taken away from you today. <laughs> yeah. So you, do you see how I'm able to remain calm when I have I, – I've already – we already know the house rules, and we know what's going to happen if you break them. And so I don't have to yell at you. I don't have to uh, get angry and – and uh, do things that I would never have done when I, when, you know, when I'm calm. And so I don't have to worry about it falling into abusive situations. I am stating what's going to happen. And when children learn that you are a person of your word, and you are going to follow through. Then they straighten up a whole lot faster. She really means what she says. And so there's no sense throw in throwing a temper tantrum. So if you start with children when they're really young and you establish these things, they it creates a home a little bit like heaven. It's Kids remain calmer. They don't test you as much. Uh, life at home is a whole lot better when you follow through with this kind of discipline and uh, um, follow through with these consequences. I love that. I think that such critical points in there are the clear expectations so that the child isn't always guessing at when they're going to get in trouble. Um, right. Like you just out of the blue uh, say, right. you now now you're going to get a spanking for that. Well, they didn't even know they shouldn't have done it or did it wrong. Right. Um, just that right. the expectations are clear, and you can build those as you go. But the reminder, if, if it's the first time you've had the discussion with the child, it isn't probably the time for a consequence at that point. It's the time for training. And then the expected right. outcomes, either pro or con, and I think, you know, we – in our family, we hooked we hooked consequences to good and bad behavior because that's how life is. If I do something well, there is a consequence and outcome for that, just as there's oh, a consequence for the negative. And so to remember to balance that on both sides. And then finally, to determine what you're going to do as a parent in advance, instead of telling the child what they're going to do, you determine what you're going to do, and that's right. what keeps you calm. Yeah, if you're going to base your emotions on how the child does, well you're just going to be whipped around all the time oh, yeah. and you know oh, yeah. and just uh they're going to have you at their mercy. And and um I love 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 and logic um training talks a lot about how kids will do almost anything for the fireworks of watching a parent lose control. <laughs> it's a lot of fun yes. for a kid to bring a parent yeah, down to their knees. Yeah. And those that actually took uh. a uh, got some kind of pleasure out of pushing the button. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I I actually had to learn what the buttons were, how he was pressing them, when he was pressing them, and then remove it all from him. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also Mm -hmm. really important for our kids to find true friends. And Lynn, we're nearing the end of the hour here. So in about a minute or a minute and a half here, maybe just your best Mm -hmm. strategies for how to teach a child to find a good friend. Well, I think that I think I've already said it earlier in the show is that uh, parents have to take a very active role. I think that parents today just kind of let it happen and they, you know, like, oh, just go find a friend, you know, and oh, okay, that's your friend. Well, I think that friends have the greatest capacity to bring a child down of anything else in life. And so we need to very uh, proactively help our children to find friends. And I did it by finding families that um, we could all be friends. So we then would spend time together, all in the same house, doing things together, or on out on an event. Um, I'm friends with the mom, and and or you know, let's say the couple, and then my they have a daughter, my daughter's age, or, you know, and and one of the things that I taught my children to do is to have friends of all ages, not just somebody exactly the same age. As um I think that uh, a great deal of wisdom comes when families get together and are friends together. And, um, you know, the 12-year-old can can be friends with somebody who's 8 or 16. I'm saying that whole families can spend time together. And I think that, it again, it takes a lot of work on family's part, but uh, it, it's got great dividends uh, that pay out. Absolutely, and I think if you see some red flags going on with a particular friend that you, as a parent, once again can step in, and either limit the time that they're together, or at least limit the circumstances under which they're together, so that you're there yes, to be yes. with them when they're um, playing together, and you can observe and continue to train. This is something that's going to help her in their whole life, so it's, it's best to teach them um, good strategies for dealing with people who aren't. Uh, healthy, uh, and that's, I think, the best word for relationships. They're either healthy mm-hmm. relationships or unhealthy relationships, and we want to, okay. especially with our children, be training them and, and nurturing them to develop healthy friendships later on when they are very healthy and mature. At that point, they can go into counseling or help people uh, that aren't healthy, and that's the <laughs> right time, but uh, it's very tough to do. Lynn, um, if somebody went over to com, what would they find there? Well, obviously, the book that we're talking about, Heaven on Earth, a Biblical Model for Parenting, but I also have developed it into a course because I have been a volunteer chaplain at the Harrison County Jail down here in Gulfport, Mississippi, and I have taught uh, this course to hundreds of students um, over the last uh, eight, nine years that I have been out there. So I because I had these students literally around the calendar in front of me teaching them, I was able to put this into a parenting course, and I've worked very hard at uh, uh, putting it into a form that somebody like you could take, and you could invite uh, your neighbors and your friends into your home, do it in a small group setting, or maybe at your church, you could have it in in a very large setting. Um, I have... um, being a you know, Lynn, we are out of time. So I'm going <laughs> to thank everybody for being here today. Thank you, my dear, for being here. It's such a great hour. Hope you guys have a great rest of the day, and we'll catch you next time at Barney's Friends. Bye-bye for now.